welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 99. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I hope your December is going swimmingly, although if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, swimming may not be your favorite activity right now outdoors, uh, especially if you're in one of those places with snow. Uh, We don't have any snow where I'm at yet, and that is just fine with me. I'm having a lovely morning here at the uh, at the house. Uh, this is a cultured episode of the podcast, for I have just enjoyed a lovely blueberry scone with my coffee, and I am now prepared to impart my wisdom upon you, or something. Anyway, it's hard to keep that voice going. Let's uh, let's kick things off with a Mad Mike Hughes update. If you'll recall, Mad Mike is a limo driver uh, somewhere in California. I forget where he lives. Somewhere in California, I think. And he is determined to launch himself into space at like 500 miles an hour on a homemade rocket. And from, I guess he won't actually blast into space, but from a high altitude above the Earth, he is going to snap photos that definitively prove that the Earth is flat. Enough of this round Earth crap. It's about time someone busts this conspiracy open. Astronauts and evidently Elon Musk have been conspiring to conceal the truth that the Earth is a bit flippin' disk with a ring of ice around it to keep the water from falling out. I'm not kidding about that. That is the theory. Um, And he's going to prove it. He's been trying for years to build this rocket. He finally hit on the idea of contacting some flat earth groups and saying, hey, uh, yeah, I'll uh, take some pictures and uh, prove your theory for you. And they started shoveling money his way. Uh, Funny how that works. So he was all set to launch uh, before Thanksgiving. And he ran into problems. Basically the flatbed trailer motorhome thing that uh, was his rocket launcher broke down. And then he was all set to do it right after Thanksgiving. But he said, "Uh, it's too windy, man. Can't do it. But uh, by the end of the week, that was like uh, that was a Washington Post article, November 27th, quoting him as saying, "Yeah, maybe Tuesday. Uh, if not, maybe by the end of the week." Uh, and now, as I record this, it is uh, what the hell is it? December 10th, as I'm recording. Whoa, that's freaky. I thought I was alone in this room, and my cat just stuck her nose out from under the couch. Freaked me out a little bit. Hi, sneezer. That's my cat, sneezer. You want to talk to the folks? Yeah, she's going back to sleep. I can't really blame her. Uh, anyway, so most recent report was, uh, it's too windy, man. If the earth is flat, if the wind blows really hard, does it just blow stuff off of the earth? Could you be like, I know I had the opera tickets on me a minute ago. I was showing them to Mad Mike Hughes. And then this big gust of wind came up, and now they're on Pluto. It's weird, man. If the Earth was flat and the wind blew and stuff blew off of the Earth, wouldn't uh, you know satellite photos show first of all that the Earth is flat, and secondly that there's all sorts of stuff floating around in space? Dunkin' Donuts coffee cups and opera tickets and uh, hope for the future, you know stuff like that. Anyway, so that concludes this week's Mad Mike Hughes update. 
else is going on? It's holiday season. I've been doing my annual holiday viewing. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff I watch during the uh, you know Christmas holiday. I watched the 1930s black and white Alistair Sim version of Scrooge. I watched The Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm, usually the kids and I watch Polar Express at some point. I watch a movie, I just watched it last night, actually, called Mixed Nuts, uh, which is a Nora Ephron film with Steve Martin. It's just a, it's a funny little comedy. You know, it's one of those comedies with a little bit of heart in it and stuff. Gary Shandling's in it, uh, Nora Ephron, Madeline Kahn. Uh, it's just a fun movie. Uh, go check it out if you haven't already. What else do I watch? Uh, well, we, my kids like to watch, and I do too, all three of the Santa Claus movies. Uh, they do get progressively weaker as a lot of trilogies do. Um, but I still like the characters in the story. So we watch those. Uh, a Christmas Story, I usually watch on Christmas Eve. Uh, no, Ralphie Wants a Red Rider BB Gun, that one. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, of course. What else? I'm forgetting something. Uh, yeah, of course, Charlie Brown Christmas, Rudolph, Frosty, all of those. Uh, I watched Scrooged, the Bill Murray take on A Christmas Carol a couple weeks ago, because I couldn't remember if I'd ever actually watched it before. Uh, and it was okay. Uh, it's very 80s, not surprisingly, uh, and I guess that maybe I didn't love it as much as a lot of people do, but uh, I was happy enough to watch it. Which reminds me of another thing that I watch annually now, uh, uh, a very Murray Christmas, Bill Murray's Christmas special he did for Netflix a couple years ago. It's weird, and it's offbeat, and I guess that's what I liked about it. Uh, so if you have Netflix, go check that out. Uh, and then, of course, I watch Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, the 1964 horrendously awful movie uh, about, uh, as you would kind of guess, Santa Claus Conquering Martians. Uh, it's a thing to behold. So yeah, so that's what I've been doing. But also this year, I resumed watching Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. This was in 1977, I think? Late 70s. Uh, Jim Henson production with the Muppets based on a 1971 book called Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Uh, about this little, little uh, otter boy named... Uh, that sounds weird. Otter boy. Sounds like something you'd read on the headline on the cover of the Enquirer. Otter boy forms a jug band. Emmett Otter lives in Frogtown Hollow with his ma. They live alone together. Uh, pa Otter has died at some point before the story starts. Uh, it's Christmas time. They don't have any money. Uh, everyone in this town is poor. Except Doc Bullfrog, apparently, who uh, owns the restaurant that is always packed even though nobody has any money I'm not sure how that works but anyway so there's big, there's gonna be a big talent contest and they both want to win the big prize so they can get you know ma and Emmett both want to win the big prize so that they can buy each other a, a, a nice store-bought Christmas present for once uh, it's just a sweet little uh, story if you like you know just you know warm fuzzy little family Christmas stories like an hour special I don't even know if it's that long uh, you know if you like Muppets and that kind of thing um, but it's been a controversial special for a long time because when it originally aired, it was the episode is, is opened with Kermit the Frog. And he does a little intro, sets up the story. Uh, Kermit being the most famous Muppet ever. Uh, of course, they wanted to figure out a way to stick him in there uh, to attract viewers. Uh, and then he would appear again uh, in the later scene towards the end. But when the show, after it originally aired, when it got syndicated, like to HBO and, and other places. For whatever reason, they cut out stuff. You know, when you syndicate a show of any kind, inevitably stuff gets cut to fit the time allotted whenever the, the 
network wants to air it. And for some reason, they very specifically cut out the Kermit stuff for years. So it was really hard, unless you got a bootleg copy somewhere, it was really hard to find, uh, you know, a quote-unquote uncorrupted copy of Emmett Otter. So I kind of stayed away from it for a long time because it just wasn't the same. Even though the story was essentially still there, you know, it didn't have Kermit in it. Only if you're a Muppet nerd like me is that probably a big deal. But this year was 40, the 40th anniversary of Emmett Otter's joke band Christmas coming up. So Henson Productions re-released a new restored version of the show with all that Kermit stuff put back in. So I went ahead and picked up the DVD and it was awesome. It was great. Uh, it was as fun as I remembered. But the one of the best parts of the DVD is there is a bonus, are the bonus features. They have uh, the scene of a song that was not included in the original production of the show. They have some other outtakes, some deleted scenes, and then they have a, a long, really fascinating making of documentary, which, which isn't new. The copyright on that documentary was 2005, but it's interviews with a bunch of people who worked on the show originally. Dave Nelson, Jim Henson's daughter, who was a kid at the time, but she was around and she has uh, carried on the Henson, uh, you know, carried on Henson production since then. Uh, you had the actress who did the, the voice of Ma Otter, uh, Paul Williams, who did the music for the, for the special, uh, just a bunch of interviews with all these people, and then a lot of film of Jim Henson and all of these other people making the show, and kind of went went into that. They talked to the uh, the costume designer, people who worked on uh, making the puppets. Talked a lot about you know the production side of making a Muppet feature. Uh, it's just really fascinating, and for me, it was totally worth. I would have bought the DVD if that was all that was on it, because it was just really good. So check that out if you're a Muppet fan. If you're you know, have nostalgic memories of Emmett Otter, you can't go wrong. Go look for that. What else? Got an email from friend of the show, Sean. Uh, he who is the co-host of Pie Factory and also the host of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast wrote in picking up on something that I said in an earlier episode about Pac-Man Fever. I'm going to be totally honest right now and say that I have no idea why I was talking about Pac-Man Fever, uh, the album. I remember doing it. I honestly don't remember why I was talking about it. But of course, this was an album of pack tunes uh, released some time ago, and uh, Sean had thoughts about it. And I'm going to tell you those thoughts right now. Ah, there it is. I was stalling for time, if you couldn't tell with my clever vamping, uh, what I was doing. So, let's see. First off, he uh, said some nice things about my novel, In the Saint Nick of Time, which, don't worry, I'll be plugging again here in a minute. I'd also made a comment in an earlier episode about the Atari 7800 pause switch. He is helpfully pointing out to me that it's technically mapped to the TV-type functionality of the Atari 2600, but he's pretty sure that for black and white, you actually have to hold the pause button in. Once you release it, you go back to color. Uh, I did not get my 7800 out to try this, uh, but I may do that. Okay, so now we get on. Now we move on to Pac-Man Fever. Uh, Sean writes, Now, you had wanted to get some feedback from folks who had or have... Uh, Buckner and Garcia's Pac-Man Fever album. Well, I've been a big Pac-Man uh, fan since, for all intents and purposes, it first came out, so I wanted everything Pac-Man. The Coleco Tabletop Pac-Man game, and then he, in a par uh, parenthetical he adds, but instead of getting that for Christmas, I got an Atari 2600. Oh, boo-hoo. Uh, that's him, not me. Although, I would have to agree. I think he made out better on that deal. The Pac-Man bubblegum cards at Woolworths, that 
sort of pegs Sean and I as guys of a certain age, because who the hell knows what Woolworths is now. Uh, I think part of the reason they probably went under was because Woolworths is just a really awkward word to say. Uh, anyway, that's me, just sort of wandering off topic. Uh, back to Sean's email. One year from my birthday, I got the Pac-Man Fever album. I loved the album, if for no other reason than a couple of songs started with actual arcade game sounds before the music kicked in. It was so cool to have, say, some sounds from Frogger gameplay without a song in the background. Yeah, I mean, remember guys, this was pre-internet where you could look up anything you wanted to hear or see, and it, there's, it's probably on YouTube. Um, so yeah, I imagine that was kind of cool. Uh, the album was on Columbia Records with the late 70s, early 80s red label with gold perimeter text and black text in the middle. This is the point where I pause and tell you that I don't know a lot about Sean, but I know that he is as much a music nerd, if not more so, than he is a game nerd, um, which is why he's able to provide all this detail. And I appreciate that, because uh, I am not uh, a music nerd. So anyway, uh, he says the inner sleeve had Pac-Man arcade patterns on the front and back. I never actually tried them, so I can't comment on how effective they are. I still have my copy, and have yet to hear the recorded, uh, and have yet to hear the re-recorded version. A few years ago, I pulled the album out of my out of the collection and gave it a listen, and I got to tell you, musically, the songs are actually pretty solid, very well done. Lyrics, however, very hokey. I never did hear back from Jerry Buckner as to whether my theory is right. He's pretty active on Facebook, but my theory is this. Buckner and Garcia were working on an album at the time. They did the song Pac-Man Fever as a one-off to make a quick buck to ride the coattails of the Pac-Man fad. And I think Jerry has since admitted that, but don't quote me on that. Well, too late, Sean. I just did. Um, but after the success of Pac-Man Fever, Columbia asked Buckner and Garcia to do an entire album's worth of video game-themed songs, prompting Jerry and, Gar uh, Jerry and Gary to hear... To hurt I can't talk all of a sudden. Prompting Jerry and Gary to hurry up and put together video game lyrics as quickly as possible. Again, that's just my theory, but it is plausible, no? But yeah, as you mentioned, there's a re-recorded version out there for whatever legal reason. Buckner and Garcia weren't allowed to re-release the original version. Uh, so all had to be recorded... Man, I should go back to bed. I'm going to start that sentence again. Uh, what the hell? I'm going to start the whole paragraph again. But yeah, as you mentioned, there's a re-recorded version out there. For whatever legal reason, Buckner and Garcia weren't allowed to re-release the original version, so all had to be recorded. MAME existed at the time, but I think there was a reason they didn't use MAME for Mousetrap. Darned if I can remember what that reason was, though. Anywho, I hope you and the family simply have a wonderful Christmas time. Jim and I are looking forward to meeting you at Midwest Class Gaming Classic. Oh yeah, I mentioned that for a couple weeks. I did mention it around Thanksgiving time. Uh, I have booked my ticket to go to Midwest Gaming Classic, and among other things, I am excited because I know Sean and Jim are going to be there uh, from Pie Factory. So uh, we have corresponded uh, over social media a lot. Um, we have provided input for each other's shows, but we have never actually gotten to meet in person. And that's one of the uh, cool things that I'm looking forward to at the Gaming Classic in April. Uh, if any of you are going to be at the Gaming Classic, look me up. I don't know yet if I will have a table or anything you know, for the show, but even if I don't, I will be walking around there all weekend. I will probably, you know, still wear my Atari Bytes gear. Uh, so if you see a dork in an Atari Bytes shirt, you'll know that's probably me. So, uh, so, you know, give a shout out. 
So yeah, so that was Sean's input on Pac-Man Fever. I kind of want to go find a copy of the album now. Um, because I, obviously I've heard the Pac-Man Fever song, but I kind of want to hear the rest of the stuff. So, I think I might ask Santa to help me out with that. Alright, well thanks Sean. Appreciate it, as always. What else? Oh yeah, here's the part where I plug subtly that thing that I said a minute ago I was going to plug. Not so subtly. I wrote a book. If you've been listening to the show regularly the last few weeks, you know this already. You can tune me out. Maybe you can use this time to go and actually order the book. In the St. Nick of Time. It's a Christmas novel that I wrote several years ago, but I mention it each year at this time uh, because it is timely. Uh, It's a Santa Claus story, but it's for adults. Three main characters. Cameron Jones is a successful writer who's having a rough time in his career and with his ex-wife. His buddy Dogwater Hunt is a, a devoted conspiracy theorist and obsessed with aliens. He has been abducted by aliens many, many times. He is convinced that aliens are going to visit Earth again on Christmas Eve. And then the third character is Santa Claus himself, who has, for many reasons, gotten burned out with being Santa, and he decides he's just quitting. So they're all kind of thrown together through circumstances in Santa Claus, Indiana, which is a real place, and they have to work together to, what else? Save Christmas. So it was a fun book. Like I said, this one's for adults, even though Santa's in it. Uh, there are some bad words. There's some gunplay. I thought it was time that adults had their own Santa Claus story because if you're like me, you never entirely stop believing. So go check that out if you would. I've already heard some nice things since I've been mentioning the uh, book on the show this year. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the book. Uh, I hope you go to wherever you bought the book and leave a review because that helps other people uh, gauge whether they might like the book. So, so yeah. So that's my uh, my commercial for today. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... There's a sensation in playing the reactor video game that people really get into. Good luck. Suddenly you're bombarded by atomic particles. You bounce them against the reactor's control wall. Fry, as the reactor core expands, Whoa. you face heavier particles and new dangers culminating in the dreaded vortex. Your turn. Me? Reactor. Reactor from Parker Brothers, the ones to beat. Reactor from Parker Brothers, 1982. It still feels weird. I've done other Parker Brothers games on the show, but it still feels weird to talk about a Parker Brothers Atari game. Um... Parker Brothers, to me, is board games. I had a lot of Parker Brothers board games when I was a kid. If I went to the closet here where we keep our games, I would probably find a bunch of Parker Brothers games in there. But here's yet another Atari game. When I give my review of the game, uh, it might bear out my belief that I think more of board games than I do of video games with this company. But anyway, that's jumping ahead a little bit. Reactor, for what you get on the screen, see... feels like to me the manual is super complicated and again jumping ahead a little bit the premise is hugely flawed in my opinion but anyway so it's a 1983 parker brothers game like i said or 1982 for the atari and series video game system we open the manual by being told positrons neutrinos photons these are just a few of the nuclear particles threatening to blow your ship apart there's nowhere to run no way of escaping to survive you must fight them But that's only half the battle. While you try to destroy these dangerous particles, you must also try to stop the reactor's expanding core before it reaches meltdown. So board your ship and prepare to enter the awesome depths of reactor. 
The object of the game is to destroy as many nuclear particles as you can before they smash your ship into the kill wall and to knock down as many sets of control rods as possible to stop the meltdown. We're using the uh, joystick for this one. Difficulty switches. Position A is the expert setting. Your ship accelerates quickly, requiring more accurate moves of the joystick. Position B is the novice level. Your ship accelerates at a slower rate. In a one-player game, use the left difficulty switch. In a two-player game, the first player uses the left difficulty switch. If it's cast, the second player uses the right difficulty switch. Use the joystick to fly your ship left, right, up, uh, down, and diagonally. Your ship can accelerate in all eight directions. Two. To slow it down, simply change directions. Press the red button to release your decoys. Inside the reactor, which is the heart of the nuclear reactor. That doesn't make any sense. This is the heart of the nuclear reactor. Your ship must battle enemy particles on the field between the reactor's core and kill wall. At the beginning of the game, each player receives three ships and three decoys. However, only one ship will appear on the screen at a time. The remaining ships are indicated by the number displayed at the top right area of the screen. The number of decoys available appears at the top center, while the number of enemy particles to go, uh, the number of particles not yet on the screen, is indicated at the top left area of the screen. The round begins the moment you press the game reset switch. Enemy particles can approach your ship from any direction and can attack individually or in groups. Your ship can also accelerate in any direction to counter their attack. The particles may be small, but they're powerful. They're not that small either, really. They're maybe they're like half the size of your ship, at least. So, anyway. Luckily, your ship is equipped with an energy shield. The shield is always up, offering needed protection. Using your ship, knock enemy particles into the kill walls. When they hit the kill wall with enough force, they disappear. But beware, enemy particles gain more speed and weight from one round to the next. Which again, I don't think is how photons and so forth work. Making them very difficult, to, making them more difficult to destroy. Inside the reactor, there are two sets of control rods extending from the kill walls. One set is on the left, one is on the right. These rods control the intensity of the nuclear reaction within the reactor's core. In order to stop the meltdown, you must try to smash these rods with enemy particles. By knocking the particles against the rods with enough force using your ship, you can destroy these rods. When you completely destroy one entire set of control rods, the core will shrink. Destroy both sets and you receive an additional decoy. Once the battle begins, the reactor's core continues to expand. Keep an eye on it as you fight to destroy the enemy and blast control rods. If you are not successful in destroying all the enemy particles, or at least one entire set of control rods, the core will keep growing, leaving less space for battle. On my screen, I, it was really confusing, because on my screen, the control rods, which what I finally figured out were control rods, are really tiny. They're not like a wall, or like even like a rod. They're just little dots. So it took a long time to figure out, okay, are those the control rods? Is the, the vertical rectangle that looks like a rod behind it, is that the control rod? It's very confusing. There are two bonus chambers within the reactor's uh, walls. One to the left, one to the right. During the game, these chambers will alternate between the top and bottom of the screen. Because reasons, I guess. When a particle enters and then leaves a bonus chamber, the chamber will switch their positions. Likewise, when your ship enters and then leaves a chamber, an indeterminate number of times, the chamber will switch. While battling enemy particles, try to force them inside one of the chambers with your ship. Once captured, the enemy will bounce off the walls many times before disappearing unless it escapes. Each time a particle hits the walls, you gain an extra 15 points. But an even better way to trap the enemy is with a decoy. Your ship is also equipped with a clever device called a decoy. A de decoy draws attacking enemy particles away from your ship and attracts them to itself. 
By pressing the red button on your joystick, you can release a decoy anywhere within the walls of the reactor. Remember, you begin the game with three decoys. Position your ship in the area you wish to release a decoy and press the red button. When you move your ship away, the decoy will appear in its place. The best places to release a decoy are next to the kill wall, in front of the control rods, and in front of the entrance to a bonus chamber. A decoy cannot be destroyed. However, it will remain on the screen for approximately 10 seconds before disappearing. Enemy particles attack your ship in an effort to knock you against one of the kill walls. They may approach your ship alone or in groups and can approach from any direction. If they succeed in forcing your ship into a wall, your ship is instantly destroyed. In levels 3, 4, 7, and 8, the reactor's solid core is replaced by the deadly vortex, a swirling mass of nuclear energy. Similar to the, kill, to the solid core, the vortex starts to expand once the round begins. But be careful. If you guide your ship too close to this violent spinning enter, your ship will be drawn inside and destroyed. To shrink the vortex, you must smash an entire set of control rods or destroy all enemy particles. Throughout the battle, you must try to knock enemy particles against the kill walls to destroy them. If the enemy succeeds in forcing your ship into the walls, then it's destroyed. As the game progresses, the challenges become more difficult. Levels 5, 6, 7, and 8, can, uh, the kill walls become invisible. Only the control, walls, uh, control rods can be seen. There are four levels with eight successive rounds in each level. The game begins with level one and continues to progress from round to round and level to level unless your ships are destroyed. If you wish, you may select any other level than number one to begin playing. Simply press the game selection switch and stop at what level you desire. And then there's this whole huge complicated grid to tell you uh, the number of positrons and photons and whatnot and whether they're solid or whether there's a vortex and blah, blah, blah in each level one and two. Here, I'll just hold it up real quick so you can see it. All right, there you go. The game ends when the enemy particles have destroyed all your ships. There are four one-player games and four two-player games. In the two-player games, players alternate turns. Reactor strategy hints. Lure enemy particles close to the wall for easier hits. Place your decoys by the kill wall for easier hits. Place your decoy in front of the bonus chamber to lure enemy particles inside for extra points. Place decoys near control rods to attract enemy particles for easier hits. Guide your ship in a clockwise direction if it should become caught in the vortex. This may help you escape it. Remember to watch the number of enemy particles to go, the number of particles not yet on the screen, at the top of the screen in order to keep track of each round. Scores display at the top of the screen throughout each round. Points are accumulated with each additional round. You receive your final score at the end of the game. Each unused decoy uh, nets you 500 points. Destroying leptons, is, uh, that's worth 200 points. Neutrinos are 200 points. Positrons are only 50 points. Photons, 50 points. Control rods, 50 points. Seems to me control rods should be worth more than that, because that's kind of the point of the game, to destroy those things. But anyway, trapping enemy particles inside the bonus chamber is worth 15 points per bounce. Note, each enemy particle trapped inside the bonus chamber will bounce an indeterminate number of times. As the particle nears self-destruction within the chamber, points, points accumulated will decrease from 15 to 10 points per bounce. Bonus, for every 10,000 points you accumulate, you earn an extra ship. Knocking down both sets of control rods earns you an extra decoy. And that is how you play Reactor. I'm just going to say right now, this the, the uh, setup, though flawed, and I'll talk about that more later, this manual makes this game sound really cool. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, I'm just not sure that the actual game, what you get on the screen, lives up to that setup. But let's see what other people thought. The Reactor Arcade game was released in 1982 by Gottlieb. The object is to cool down the reactor core without being hurled by magnetism or repulsion by enemy swarms of nuclear particles. 
This Wikipedia article must have been written by a physicist. He's talking about magnetism and repulsion and so forth. It was ported to the 2600 by Charlie Heath, published by Parker Brothers. The reactor was developed by Tim Skelly, who previously designed and programmed a series of vector graphics arcade games for uh, Cinematronics, including Ripoff. It was the first arcade game to credit the developer on the game's title screen. The Atari 2600 version plays somewhat differently due to the fact the energy shield is always up. The rules are almost identical. It uses a joystick or a trackball, although the rules book only mentions the joystick. Apparently, you can also use a trackball. I don't have a trackball yet. I keep saying I'm going to get one, uh, but I haven't done that yet. Maybe Santa will help me out with that. All Game Guide gave the game 40%, writing, Reactor is boring and a waste of time to play. Why would anyone fly a ship into a nuclear reactor anyway? If two players could, uh, could play at the same time, uh, Reactor might be a little more exciting. You know, I kind of agree with, uh, with them, actually. Atari HQ says, Parker Brothers was best known for hit coin-up and big-name movie licenses, but they also brought some of the more obscure games to the VCS. Some, like Amadar, uh, Armadar, were told disasters. Uh, tell me, friend. Well, Reactor, with its superb graphics and lots of challenges, is an example of a game that translated well to the home. As far as the graphics go, the particles and your ship look fine. Mm, I don't know about that. The wall and the reactor, however, look like something from out of the old days of Pong. They could be brushed up somewhat. Alright, you know what? I, I, I'm going to go with that. Yeah, the ship does actually look okay for 1982. But yeah, everything else on the screen is pretty garbage. Although its anonymity compared to higher-profile Parker Brothers releases such as Frauder and Star Wars assured Reactor being a small seller, it's one of those games that many classic gaming enthusiasts adore today. Given that's not a difficult game to find, it's well worth your while to seek out the cartridge. Definitely one of the better games among the obscure titles put out by Parker Brothers. GameFAQs offers us a cheat to get extra points. Complete a game, then move your ship to the top of the screen and move as far into the corner as possible while the game is in demonstration mode. Your ship will eventually hit an invisible object that will add to your point total. Enough points can be earned in this manner to earn a bonus life and allow the game to be continued at the last point played. Wow. That is like straight up a cheat. You get a bunch of points for doing nothing. Kinda like life. Digital Press wrote in 2005, if you've never played Reactor in the arcade, you probably wouldn't even notice the sacrifices made in terms of gameplay. The uh, eight direction joystick performs admirably here. And while it clearly lacks the precision of the trackball, this isn't a game where you feel frustrated with the controls. Uh, you will if you're me, and I was playing on the easy setting. Electronic fun with computer games, with computers and games, wrote in 1983. Ever since Parker Brothers started to make cartridges, it's stuck to licensing arcade titles. Will they ever stop? Probably not, but if they keep making games like React with superb graphics and a lot of challenge, it doesn't matter. Wow, I wonder what that reviewer was smoking when he wrote that. All Game Guide wrote in 1998 that Reactor is boring and a waste of time to play. I think I mentioned that review earlier, but it's worth mentioning again. The Video Game Critic wrote in 2004, Even so, the game takes a terrible toll on your wrist. Reactor does provide a substantial challenge, but it's far more aggravating than it is rewarding. If that's what it's like to work in a nuclear power plant, and I'm almost sure it is, then I feel sorry for those people. Alright, so kind of a somewhat mixed bag of reviews. So I think it's time for us to try this game out to leap into the reactor, which I still have problems with. So, after the break, is this game a fusion-powered festival of fun or a glowing pile of nuclear waste? In other words, does the game make us react or not? Man, that was awful. Anyway, roll the thing.
remember back when George W. Bush was president, the media would talk mostly about, at least initially, how the guy would pronounce nuclear as nuclear. And for a while anyway, that was the worst thing they could think of to say about him. Remember how innocent we were back then? I miss those days. Anyway, so Reactor. Uh, it's a game. I'm playing it right now. Um, the sounds, I guess, are basic, but kind of cool. It, I think the game suffers a little bit from the limited graphics. It's hard to know. I just crashed into one of the walls, which I think is supposed to be the control rods. I don't know. That's where the limited graphics are coming in. I'm not entirely sure if that's what I'm looking at. I'm pretty sure, though. Um, the controls don't feel very, uh, feel a little sluggish to me. Uh, trying to pilot your little ship around. Right, trying to hit the, uh, Funky music. Alright, I'm gonna start this again. So try and set a decoy without hitting the wall. enemy photons, which, you know, my physics knowledge is limited to my high school physics class, but I'm pretty sure that's not how photons work. I don't think they're either enemy or, uh, friend. Neither friend or foe. They're just photons. concept of the game weirds me out a little bit, too. I'm struggling a bit with that. Um, you're a ship flying into a nuclear reactor, which again, I don't think that's a thing. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure that's not how nuclear reactors work. I could see if, you know, you're, you're on a ship that's powered by a nuclear reactor, right? I get that. That's essentially what a warp core is in Star Trek. So that concept, you know, if, you had, if the plot of the game was the reactor that powers your ship is exploding, and you gotta deal with that. That I would get. But your ship is flying into a reactor and you have to fight enemy photons. That's just not a thing. I'm very confused. Thankfully, uh, nuclear winter has set in, and the game is over, so uh, back to you in the studio. Honor, you're smart. You're the president of your gang. It's different. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. At school, they got geometry and English and biology and I just don't understand a thing about it, man. I just don't get any of it. Well, what about chemistry? That's the hardest one. Did they teach you anything about the atom? The atom? <laughs> year after year. And I don't know the first thing about it. I can give you the basics of the atom in two minutes. You'll understand it perfectly and remember it for months. <laughs> two minutes? You're crazy, you know that? I can teach you about the atom in two minutes. You go back to school and finish out the year? How about it, huh? Come on, you're a betting man. How about it, Arnold? Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. You got it. I got your word? Yeah, you got my word. And two minutes. We got a deal. Yeah, we got a deal. All right, sit down. Okay. Okay. There are three gangs on the street, right? Yeah, yeah, three gangs. And this... This right here is the territory. Now, here is the neighborhood. 
Got that? Yeah. And right in the middle of this neighborhood is a gang called the New Boys. Yeah, the New Boys. Good name. Okay. Out here on the outside of the neighborhood, on the edge of the neighborhood, is another gang. You know, these are real negative dudes. Really negative. Right? Right. right. Now, they call themselves the Elected Ones. All right. The Elected You got that really negative. They don't like nothing. Right. Now, they all the time out here circling around the neighborhood. Just circling. You know? Checking out the new boys. Now, the new boys see this. And they get, you know, they figure there's something wrong here. So they make a deal with another, another gang. A gang of very happy-go-lucky guys. They call themselves the pros. <laughs> the pros. Now, the pros are very positive cats. You see, they got all the good-looking women, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> see, now, the pros and the, and the elected ones, interesting thing, they hate each other. So much so that they keep the same number of members in the gang. Just in case you did. Right. So if I got ten elected ones, how many pros do I have? Ten. All right. Now, how many gangs do I have? Three. Name them. The new boys, the elected ones, and the pros. All right. Who's here? The elected ones. All right. Now, what are they, negative? Yeah, negative. All right. Now, who's positive? The pros. And you're running out of time. All right. Now, you see right here, the pros and, and, and the new boys, they call their hangout the nucleus. Yeah. Now, see, that's a real tough word. It's Latin. And I kind of think it's Swahili, and it means center. Yeah. What is it? It's nucleus. Say it. Nucleus. Is that really African? Say it. Nucleus. You got it? Yeah. All right. Give me another Swahili word. It's, uh, it's uh, Tron. It means dude. Yeah, Tron, dude. All these gangs like that name so well, and they all decide to use it. For instance, the, uh, the pros right here in the middle start calling themselves protons, and the new boys, well, they start calling themselves neutrons. And out here on the edge here, the elective ones, they start calling themselves the elect... The electrons. The protons and the neutrons. Yeah. And all this right here, this is the neighborhood. This is block after block of nothing. You understand block after block of nothing, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I know all about that. And your time is up, Professor DJ. Good. I was finished anyway. Now you're going back to school. School? Man, all I know about is a bunch of damn gangs that live in a round neighborhood. Model, <laughs> that's the atom. That's it, man. That's it. What's this right here? Huh? Uh, protons and neutrons. All right, they call this the what? Nucleus. All right, what are these guys up here? Electrons. Are they negative or positive? Negative. And how do they move? Round and round. And if I got two of them, how many protons do I have? Two. Now, are protons negative or positive? Positive. All right, now what's all this right here? Oh, that's the neighborhood. Which is? Nothing. You got it, man. You get an eight. and forwards. I do? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Here's the thing about reactor, and I alluded to this in the field report. I have questions. Is the reactor you're trying to stop on board your ship? I guess it's not, really, right? Because you're inside it. Is it attacking you? Reactors don't do that. They melt down, but they don't actively go after people. And I'm pretty sure you can't fly a ship into a reactor, if that's what's happening. Who the hell knows? And you can't shoot neutrinos with a laser. Neutrinos, by the way, and photons don't actively attack you either. They don't organize and go after you. You, you can't just shoot them with a laser from your spaceship. They're super tiny. So, have you been shrunk down? 
to fit inside this reactor and be able to go eye to eye with a neutrino? Are you Ant-Man? Are you in that fourth Doctor story of Doctor Who, the invisible enemy? You Doctor Who nerds will understand that. I don't get it. A positron or anti-electron is the antiparticle or the antimatter counterpart of the electron. The positron has an electric charge and has the same mass as an electron. When a positron collides with an electron, annihilation occurs. If this collision occurs at low energies, it results in the production of two or more gamma ray photons. And then Bruce Banner walks by and turns into the Hulk. I might have added that last part. But this is Wikipedia, so you never know. It could actually be in there. Positrons may be generated by positron emission radioactive decay through weak interactions or by pair production from a sufficiently energetic photon which is interacting with an atom in a material. They are produced naturally in the decay of naturally occurring radioactive isotopes and sometimes artificially. A neutrino is a a fermion elementary particle with half-integer spin that interacts only via the weak subatomic force and gravity. The mass of the neutrino is much smaller than the other known elementary particles. The neutrino is so named because it is electrically neutral and because the rest mass is so small that it was originally thought to be zero. The weak force has a very short range. Gravity is extremely weak on the subatomic scale and neutrinos as leptons do not participate in the strong interaction. Thus, neutrinos typically pass through the normal matter unimpeded and undetected. Ha! So how do you even know they're there? A photon is a type of elementary particle, the quantum of the electromagnetic field, including electromagnetic radiation, such as light, and the force carrier for the electromagnetic force, even when static via virtual particles. The photon has zero rest mass and always moves at the speed of light within a vacuum. Like all elementary particles, photons are currently best explained by quantum mechanics and exhibit wave-particle duality, exhibiting properties of both waves and particles. For example, a single photon may be reflected by a lens and exhibit wave interference with itself, and it can behave as a particle with definite and finite measurable position of momentum, though not both at the same time. Also, apparently, it can be diverted by decoys dropped by spaceships. Again, I added that last part. Einstein developed the modern concept of the photon in the early 20th century to explain uh, experimental observations that did not fit the classical wave model of light. There you go. I read all three of the, read through all three of those articles. And there's a bunch more stuff in there I didn't bore you with. There's nothing in there about photons, neutrinos, and whatever the hell the other thing was, organizing to come after you and destroy spaceships. Just saying. Also, I was saddened to find out there's no sign of life it's just a positron is not a lyric in David Bowie's song Modern Love, even though everyone thinks it is. The line is actually, there's no sign of life, it's just his power to charm. Though, honestly, all due respect to the departed Mr. Bowie, I like the mistaken line better. So, the positron may not be a sign of life, and no one is more excited about that than the neutrinos. So excited, in fact, that the neutrinos got a dance, and a little piece we're calling... Neutron reactor dance, not to be confused with the safety dance. <clears throat> I don't want to take it anymore. I'll just stay here locked behind the spaceship door. Just no time to stop and get away. Because I worked so hard to keep the reactor from going nuclear ray. Woo, woo. There's neutrinos falling from the sky. Because the reactor took my photons and left the waste behind. Someone stole my brand new laser guided bidet. Nothing to do with this. Forgot what I was going to say. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. 
And it's hard to say just how some nuclear wastes never change. And it's hard to find any strength to blast the radioactive line. I'm just burning, doing the neutrino dance. I'm just burning, doing the neutrino dance. Reactor fighting don't pay a price that's fair. All the commotion, people breathing irradiated air. Ship roof caved in on all my crew, my team, and to get ahead of those neutrino schemes. Woo, woo, ship on fire. Crap, ship on fire. I know there's a lot of gold photons aiming for me. All I gotta do is through this reactor just weave. I'm so happy doing the neutrino dance. And my ship's just burning doing the neutrino dance. I'm so happy doing the neutrino dance. Seriously, my ship is burning doing the neutrino dance. Where's Homer Simpson when you need him? And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are at ataribytes.libson.com, along with social media links and other stuff. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Please do. I want to hear what you think of the show. I want to hear what you think of these games. I want to hear what you think of Emmett Otter uh, or Blueberry Scones. You know, whatever tickles your fancy, hit me up uh, on the email. You can also like the show on our Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or you can follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And, of course, as you know by now, in a bold leap into 2010, Atari Bytes is now on Instagram. You can find Atari Bytes in all the usual places, including, uh, relatively recently, SoundCloud and Spotify. So we're excited about that. Go tell your friends, uh, you know, down at the nuclear power plant to uh, give the show a listen. And don't forget to react to the show with an iTunes review. And then, like I said, when you're hanging out with your friends, enjoying a lovely bowl of photons, that's how photons work, right? Yeah, maybe uh, play an episode or two of the show, and maybe they'll get excited about it too. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page, uh, and please consider doing that if you can. There are production costs involved with the podcast, or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. There's all sorts of Atari Bytes and... Go play some old games they've missed you. Shirts and mugs and tote bags and on and on and on. All sorts of stuff. And if you have time, please check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month to provide you with your monthly fix of Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Linus. And lately, a lot of rerun, meaning the character rerun. So just all sorts of good stuff there. If you've ever been a Peanuts fan, uh, that's the place for you. Next time on Atari Bytes, it's our Christmas episode! Yay! We're going to drop down your chimney on Christmas Eve, as a matter of fact, just like St. Nick. There better be cookies. And bourbon. Mostly the bourbon. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.